back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 38. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we're going to be continuing on with Luke, looking at the unique passages of Luke. Um, and we'll begin with Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. Now, we got a little controversy right from the start here. So we'll talk about that. Uh, so turn, uh, unless you're driving, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll get started. Look at this controversy. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. Okay, some skeptics will say, Ah, that's false. We have some Roman records and uh, Caesar Augustus uh, never ordered an empire-wide census. And so that may be a reason why somebody doesn't believe the Bible, okay? Well, we have several responses to that. But the first of which is most of the censuses that were ordered by emperors were for purposes of taxation. But it may well be that the registration that's described in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, involved not a taxation kind of census, but rather an oath of allegiance that's sworn to the emperor. So in other words, you had to go to a place and say, okay, I swear that I will be obedient to the Roman emperor. Um, it, at least at that time, it was okay if you, if you, you know, worshiped, other gods, but, uh, or, you know, worshiped as you wished, um, but you had to declare allegiance to the Roman emperor and uh, acknowledge him. So perhaps that is the reason why. Uh, another little controversy we see in verse two, it says, this was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So again, the skeptics are going to come out and say, wait a minute. So this is supposed to describe the birth of Jesus, but uh, Quirinius was not the actual governor of Syria until uh, we think 6 AD, which is years after Jesus was born. So how does that work? Well, perhaps uh, Quirinius was functioning in, in a governing function, kind of like lieutenant governor or something like that. There is also um, there are also some statements of early uh, Christian writer Tertullian, who says that uh, the official head of state at the time of of Jesus' birth was somebody else, and that um, Quirinius may have been an administrator of that. So again, we don't get too hung up on that. But let's just say, for the sake of discussion, uh, we find every Roman record that was ever done and every Syrian record that was ever done, and it shows that these dates are a little off. We gotta look at what is the greater truth here. We're talking about Jesus being born, okay? And as we've said many times before, the writers of scripture were not as concerned as in 21st century America uh, of reporters getting the details in exact order and, and all that. But uh, there, my, what I just told you about uh, Caesar's decree and Quirinius potentially being, you know, like lieutenant governor instead of governor, um, you know, those would, those would also be reasonable 
explanations for this event. Okay, verse 7, I'm skipping around a little bit, um, and it says in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son. Okay, so some skeptic, probably a Protestant, would say, ah, okay, she gave birth to her firstborn son. And so that suggests that there are others after her, right? So Mary could not have been a perpetual virgin. Uh, and to that, we would refer them to the idea that the concept of firstborn was a legal term. In other words, the, the one who was entitled to the greatest inheritance and all that. There was found a, uh, um, there was found in the earlier part of this century, I think, uh, excuse me, of the last century in Egypt, there was a, uh, a tomb that was found um, of an Egyptian woman. And it said, uh, she died after giving birth to her firstborn. Okay, <laughs> so does that mean she gave birth to more people after, at more children after she died? No, I don't think so. So again, it's a legal term. It is uh, don't fall into that trap. Protestants don't want Mary to be a perpetual virgin because they just think that that's weird. And we would say, yes, it is weird. It's only happened once, and it only happens when God chooses to enter the world in, uh, in the form of a man. So they're right about that being weird, but uh, uh, they try to uh, uh, not give Mary um, what is deserving there. Okay, you'll recall last time we talked about uh, some of the differences between Luke and Matthew, that Matthew emphasized in Jesus' birth that Jesus was um, a, a king, if you will, and, and uh, you know, the king of the Jews. And we see that by the visitation to Jesus by whom? The Magi, you know, who were, um, who were upper class folks. They were, you know, perhaps astrologers, um, though in uh, popular folklore, we refer to them as kings. We three kings of Orient are, etc. But at any rate, they were the upper crust. They were the educated. Who visits Jesus in Luke's story? Uh, and why, why does Luke uh, highlight this? Because you'll recall from last time we said that Luke uh, talks about the, poor, the, the message of Christ is for everyone, regardless of status. And Luke talks about the treatment of the poor and the fact that the poor are just as loved in God's eyes as, as the wealthy, okay? And we see in verse 8, who visits Jesus? Shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and uh, says, uh, you know, I think you know the, the rest of the story. Um, it says, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that is also known as the Linus verse from the classic Peanuts comic strip from 1965, or I should say uh, Peanuts uh, TV special, where um, Charlie Brown asks, so what is the meaning of Christmas anyway? 
And uh, Linus says, I'll tell you what the meaning of Christmas is. And then he goes up on stage and he recites those verses. Uh, For to you is born in this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Interestingly, when Charles Schultz, the creator of, of uh, Peanuts, wanted was was when this was about to be aired the producers of the show the tv producers who were not christian said oh you need to take that stuff about jesus out you know this is supposed to be about uh, christmas parties and snowball fights and things like that and charles schultz stuck to his guns and said if you take that out what linus said then I am withdrawing the rights for you to produce this. And so they reluctantly let it, let it stay in, and it remains a Christmas classic some uh, 50 years after, after the fact. Uh, parenthetically, there may be times in your life when you will be asked to compromise your uh, Christian values or to shut up about them. And um, I would say that uh, this Charles Schultz would be a good example for you in that regard. Okay, stick to your guns regarding your faith. Remember, if uh, being a Christian is, was a crime, and it's not yet in America, though it seems to be moving in that direction, if being Christ, a Christian was a crime in America, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Something to think about. Then right from the mass on uh, verse 13, and suddenly there was the angel, was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men of whom he is pleased. Okay, now what does that sound like? The Gloria from, from the mass, okay? But I guess there is no peace for the wicked, you know, no um there is no peace for those who do not uh, seek a relationship with Christ until they find that relationship hopefully um so the shepherds saw all this and they're really excited about it uh shepherds of course were like the lowest of the low on the social totem pole shepherds were one of two classes of people incidentally that were not even allowed to be witnesses in a trial in a court of law uh, because they were thought to be uh, disreputable. By the way, the other, uh, the other group of people who were not allowed to be witnesses at the time of Christ in a, in a trial were women. So here we have Luke with his gospel extolling the virtues of one the poorest of the poor, the shepherds, and two, women who were not highly regarded at that time. So if you're a woman or a poor person, or you seek the edification of either of those, uh, Luke might end up being your favorite gospel. And um, so these shepherds, it says in verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Okay, now that's a cute little thing that we see at Christmas time, etc. You know, little mangers out on lawns and things like that. But what is a manger really? A manger is a feeding trough for animals. Okay, so you got your filthy, stinky animals, and then your filthy, stinky animals are eating out of this trough. So it could not be a more humble situation for Christ to be born. Uh, now, if I were 
Christ, eternal with the Father, and uh, you know the the Trinity gets together, and and they've known this. I'm oversimplifying it, of course. And Jesus is going to come to Earth. You know, I would come as like a rock star or a big big time athlete. You know, I would want the adulation of everyone. But Jesus instead comes in the simplest of ways, born in a feeding trough for filthy, stinky animals. Uh, and there's no place at the inn. Okay. And um, so in Matthew's account, uh, we, we see Jesus was not born in the manger, but rather in a, in a uh, house of some sort. Um, and how do we resolve that? Well, perhaps he was born in a manger and then shortly thereafter lived in a house. Again, uh, the skeptic will look at details and try to pick things apart. Um, but we would say, first of all, it's quite possible that Jesus was born in a manger and then shortly thereafter lived in a house for a brief period of time. Okay, So we don't get hung up on, on these things. Luke's point is Jesus was born to, uh, as a humble person and uh, we, can, we can learn to be humble through him, through our own humility. Um, it says, and when they, the shepherds, saw it, the, um, the Christ child in the manger, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So what did the shepherds do? They went out and evangelized, right? Um, and that's what we should do. When we get the good news of Christ coming into our lives, we should evangelize and uh, tell others uh, about, uh, about Christ. And it says in verse 19, Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. So, you know, she's got time to kind of ruminate about all of this. I mean, that's a lot to take in, you know, being the mother of, of the Savior of, of the world. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God, you know, their evangelists, for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, now in verse 21, it says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So the family is obedient to their religious duties, right? At the end of eight days, they're supposed to, Jesus is supposed to be circumcised as is the custom of the law, and they do that. So are we obedient in our religious duties? Do we go to mass each Sunday and days of holy ob uh, obligation? Uh, Jesus and his family did not think that they were above the law, just like some of us might say, well, I, I don't need to go to church. You know, I can worship God on a golf course. Well, trust me, I've seen some of you on the golf course, and uh, the words that come out of your mouth don't seem like worship to, uh, to me, uh, m more like, uh, um, you know, words that would, uh, uh, of blasphemy, etc., so, then Jesus is presented in the temple, and again, the family is supposed to do their religious obligation. There's, by verse 24, they're supposed to offer a sacrifice according to um, what is said in the law of the Lord. They should either give a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons, okay? 
And so guess what? You know, I think that um, we will see that um, that Mary gave the two pigeons because guess what? They were a poor family, but that's okay. They did what they could and we do what we can too. There will be others who will have more means than we, but we, we can't all do everything, but we can all do something, right? Verse 25, there was a man uh, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, okay? And he'd been waiting there in a long time uh, in, in Jerusalem, and it had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit again, capital H, capital S, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And inspired by the Spirit, he came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, among other things, I'd like you to underline in verse 32, he says, in essence, you are a light for revelation to who? To the Gentiles. Okay, remember, this is one of Luke's distinctives is he wants to emphasize that Jesus came not just for, uh, you know, the Jews and those born of that um, blood, if you will, but for all who would accept him. And then Simeon also has a little word of uh, uh, prophecy for the mother. You know, he says, This child is set for the fallen rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is spoken against. Here's the sad part. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So, in other words, Mary is kind of aware that Jesus is going to precede her in death. And that is... Um, that is a mother's uh, greatest grief is to see a child precede her in, in death. Well, we're about out of time for this time. So we'll come back and we'll pick up on, let's say, uh, verse 39 of Luke chapter 2. But uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, dear Lord, we thank you for the humility by which Christ came into the world, which reminds us that you love us all equally and that your gift of eternal life is to all of us, regardless of what bloodlines we're from, regardless of, of wealth or status, that you came and uh, you've got a different agenda um, where, whereby those who embrace you um, can know equal salvation regardless of status. And so we thank you for um, also reminding us to uh, be faithful in our religious duties as Mary and Joseph were with the, um, the circumcision and presentation in the temple. Um, we, we thank you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So uh, we'll pick up next time on uh, chapter 2, verse 39 and on. And as always, I welcome you to email me your questions and comments at jhcatholicbible at gmail.com.